Good morning. I made it. Is it is it on? I think it's on. Testing, testing. It's just not. How's that? Before we proceed with the rest of the service, let's take a moment of silence for spiritual preparation. As you all know, 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We do this, of course, to restore fellowship with God, God the Father, that is. And when we have restored fellowship, we have empowerment, we have guidance, we have illumination through God the Holy Spirit. And let's pause for a moment of silence and pray and confess any sins if we have any, and then we'll look at a portion of God's Word. Father, what a privilege it is to be here with the royal family of God. We're here living in a day and age where truth is mocked and scoffed. And yet here we are, gathered together to hear your word. We believe in your word. We believe that it's the word that sets us free. And as we renovate our minds, we slowly are transformed into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, as per Romans 12.2. And so, Father, as we continue to commit our lives to Thee, I pray that You would continue to place an invisible wall of fire around each member here of National Capital, keeping them safe at all times from any COVID or any diseases, any harm, so that we can continue to assemble together to bring You honor and glory when so many churches shun teaching Your Word. They're more interested in singing songs and talking about just about everything else, politics, the trends of of the world, rather than the truth, the absolute truth that comes from your word. And so I'm grateful to be a part of this fantastic pivot here, National Capital. I pray that you would bless every person here. If anyone is having any difficulties with health, finances, relationships, Father, prove to them once again that you truly are faithful and that you will honor Romans 8.28, that you cause all things to work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We thank you, Father, and I ask now that you have blessed this portion of the word that I'm about to share as we look at it as a call to worship. And we ask these things in Christ's matchless name. Amen. One of my favorite psalms happens to be the very first psalm. Because it's pregnant with so much here in Psalms chapter 1. Which says the following. Blessed is the man, or happy is the man, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Excellent advice, especially during our times. Nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. In other words, no hanging out with these ungodly people. But his delight instead is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. So there's this Duration that's spelled out in verse 2. He meditates, he reflects on it day and night. It's an ongoing pursuit of the, of the Word. And when you do this, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. So in due time, it'll prosper. Whose leaf shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. Are you working hard trying to be prosperous? Here's the answer right here. Making the law of the Lord your delight. Whatever he does shall prosper. 
Now the contrast is found in verse 4. The ungodly, not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. In other words, there's no stability in the life of the ungodly. That word is rasha. Ungodly, those who do not have a relationship with God. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. So when God judges them, they won't be able to stand. They will be proven guilty. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So there's not, we're not going to be together during this time. And then in verse 6, we read, The Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. I like the closing of chapter 1 of Psalms. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. His eye is always on us. He's watching over us. Kind of like what Jesus says in Matthew where a bird or a sparrow doesn't fall without the Father not knowing. So it's all a part of His sovereign will. He watches us. And as long as we put him first, we will have the stability as found in Psalms 1. And whatever he does shall prosper. That's coming from God himself, God's word. Well, before we move through our study this morning, I just wanted to take a moment and just say thank you all for your prayers. I believe I'm here because of your prayers, so thank you kindly. We're going to look at, we're moving through basics, phase two, and I'm going to incorporate a few new categories or terms alongside salvation and discipleship. And so you'll recall that I had said that I think in some of the Bible teaching churches we're missing the emphasis or focus on discipleship. I think this is why the Lordship crowd, the Lordship Salvation crowd is so strong on making Jesus Lord of all because you free gracers are just simply believing in Jesus and you're so lackadaisical. And they argue that. They say, you, you guys, all you got to do is believe. No, there's more, more to believing than just believing. And I can kind of see where they're going. But I want to see if we're going to be able to unpack something that I think will ring truth for all of us here. So we're going to move through basics. I'm going to not go through every verse like I normally do. I will summarize starting with this passage or this slide here um, what it is that we've covered thus far. You know that here's our diagram on salvation. This is the whole package that we receive at the moment of faith. Salvation phase one, two, and three. We should all know this by now. Phase one is in the past. The moment of faith alone and Christ alone, you've been saved from the penalty of sin. Whereas in phase two, you're being saved from the power of sin. How many of you struggle with sin, sinful tendencies? Or is it just me? Well, phase two is what, we're, what we should be focused on and that's what we should really drill home. And phase three, I thought this week I was going to be phase three. Uh, either the rapture of the church or your last breath. So in, in it, either case, um, you'll be with the Lord. To be absent from the body, present with the Lord. But I will be saved from the presence of sin. So now, you'll recall we've covered the following. This is the mark of a disciple. Okay, Christ must come before all relationships. Number two, one must be willing to deny self in order to follow Christ. Number three, one must pick up his cross and follow Christ. The idea there is recognize that there will be suffering. They hate me, they will hate you as well. Sometimes tension among the family 
will be the result of following Christ. So pick up your cross and follow Christ. Number four, you'll recall it requires counting the cost. It's like a person who is going to build a tower. He has to first sit down and count the cost, lest he's not able to finish it and they mock him later on. So this is discipleship. It requires counting the cost. Are you willing to make the sacrifice? Are you willing to pick up the cross? And this is, has nothing to do with salvation, even though you'll hear this in evangelistic crusades. Come now, get off your seats and pick up your cross and acknowledge me, Jesus Christ, because if you deny him, he'll deny you. Again, out of context, and that's not talking about salvation. But it's blurred. Sanctification and justification is many times blurred. Number four, again, it's counting the cost. So that means sitting down and saying to yourself, is following Jesus worthwhile? Is it worth it? And for many, it's not. They have responsibilities. They have things to take care of. And so it's optional, really. But at the same time, that shows whether or not you love Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, obey me. So salvation isn't linked to following Christ because that's an instant. It takes a, a moment of faith to become a believer in Christ. But discipleship is costly. It requires sacrifice. Okay. And number five, you'll recall that it it's recognizing that following Christ is like is similar to engaging in a battle. If the you have ten thousand, can you tackle the twenty thousand or the twenty thousand that are coming after you? And if not, if you don't think you can, send a truce. Uh, send a delegate to say I give up. But the the whole idea in one through five here as seen in the past several weeks, is that we must count the cost. Discipleship requires commitment. It's not easy. It requires sacrifice. And so we're going to have to, in time, discover why it is that it's worthwhile. Why follow Christ? In fact, let me open it up. Why should we follow Christ? Because we love them. Very good. If you love me, obey me. So, why is it that people do not follow Christ today? Fear of being chastised. Fear of being chastised. True. Distractions. Distractions. Distractions in life. So, you can see here, just the, this list of five items here, you must, it must come before all relationships, must be willing to deny self, that means your own interest, God must be first. That doesn't mean you can't work, it just means that wherever you go, you bring God into that environment. So, if you're going to be a doctor, you go into the medical field, you're going to bring, doctor, you're going to bring God into the arena of the medical field. You're a nurse, same thing. You're going to bring God into the arena of the medical field. You're going to extend grace the way Christ extended grace. And you're going to bring God into the periphery. That's a disciple. That's an ambassador. That's a royal priest switching hats and becoming an ambassador. And I'll, I'll explain that in a moment, why I said that. Because a priest, you're all a royal priest, right? But you're also an ambassador. And depending on where you are determines how you act. A priest is in your own home. You are a royal priest before the Heavenly Father. I don't see what you do at home. That's your personal vertical relationship with God. But your vertical relationship with God will impact how you are as a disciple and as an ambassador horizontally when you step outside your home. If your vertical relationship with God is intact, then you will impact the people around you. If the vertical relationship is suffering and an anemic, then you're not going to impact people because I mentioned here, you don't love Him. Anybody can say they love God, but it's displayed by works. Now, I'm careful to word that. I'm saying it very carefully. When you do works... 
it's to display your love for God, not proving that you're saved or that you're a Christian or a believer. Because that's the reform position. Unless you show your fruit, you're not truly saved. So let's look at the following. Jesus said to those who believed him, we're going to look at um, this passage here and I want you to see something that I think is... We, we looked at John 6 before, but notice what it says here. Uh, Theron, could you, you, can you read John 8, 31 and 32 out loud, please? Excellent. So how many groups of people are here? Just Jews? What kind of Jews? There's two I see here. Potentially two. Ones who believe and ones who abide. So notice, Jesus said to those Jews who believed. So there are those, they're in that category here, in the group of people here. Uh, there are some who did not believe. So to the ones who did believe, he says, you want to be my disciple? Here's the mark of a disciple. If you men know, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Please note, the believer and the disciple are distinct here in 31 and 32. There, He's talking to those who believed. And then he says, if you want to ratchet it up a little, if you really want to follow me, this is what's required. Abide in my word and then you are my disciples indeed. So notice that you can believe in Jesus but not continue in his word. So it's the idea of continuing in his word. Believing in him is, is the beginning but abiding in his word is next. So to those who are believers the next step is to abide in His Word. And when you do, that's when you become His disciple. You can believe in Jesus all you want. And in fact, if you believe in Jesus, what takes place? Phase one. Everyone in this room, I would venture to say, has already passed through phase one, salvation, right? Right? Phase two is abiding in his word, is when you are a disciple. He says, okay, you've believed, but now if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And in fact, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free from the bondage of sin. How many is grappling with sin today? Just me, right? And uh, Scott. So we all grapple with it, but as you grow and expose yourself to his truth, as you menow in his word, as you remain in his word, not only are we going to prove ourselves to be disciples, as per Jesus' words here, but you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's, some, there's something about a con consistency of getting into His Word that's going to set us free. How many times have you said, you know, well, I blew it again, but then once you were exposed to the grace of God, you said, wow, I don't lose my salvation? Fantastic. The grace of God is such that when a person knows the truth of God's Word, that no matter how bad a person is, 
I've had people say, Pastor Freddie, you know, I struggle with the same sin. I have the same addiction and it, oh, it's constant. I mean, I doubt God listens to my First John 1, 9 anymore. It's over and over and over. After I exercise First John 1, 9, 10 seconds later, I'm at it again. And I said, you're just like all of us. People need to know that. We, we have a sin nature that is warring inside, do we not? So once we know the truth of how things work, the sin nature that's uh, resident in our soul, and the, con- the inculcation of God's Word, Romans 12.2, as we renovate our minds, it will over time transform us And we look at what it says here. If we abide in His Word, then the truth will set you free. You start to make the connection and say, Okay, so I've got all these addictions. I've got these habits. But what is it that I'm not doing that Jesus is saying or what His Word is teaching here? Well, don't be like the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And Jesus says here, Abide in my word and you'll be my disciples indeed. In fact, you shall know the truth as you're abiding in the word and that truth will set you free. You link that with Romans 12.2 and a host of other verses. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is alive and powerful. You'll recognize that we have supreme power available to us in here, the word of God. But the average Christian today is busy and caught up with distractions, as Everett said. Distractions. We don't commit to a regular intake of His Word. And so, if it's not working for you, if you do have your own time with God, maybe you have to ramp it up just a little bit more. It's kind of like exercise. If you're working out in a gym and you notice that you're not getting the results that you're looking for, what do you do? Do you just cancel the membership? You make adjustments. You do you do whatever it takes to make it work. Do you not? You don't just sit there and say, well, this isn't working. You sit there and say, okay, maybe I need someone to help me. Maybe I need a personal trainer. Maybe someone who specializes in this will be able to pinpoint what it is that I'm doing. Do I need to cut the carbs out? Do I need to ramp up on fats? Do I need to do a little bit more cardio? I need to go to someone who can actually pinpoint what it is that I'm doing wrong. So we, likewise, we as believers need to do the exact same thing because the Word of God is replete. The Word is powerful. It's transformative. Romans 12.2, Isaiah 55. It doesn't come back void. It will always accomplish what it intends to. The purpose of God's Word is always going to provide and accomplish what God intended. So when you link these together, we have supreme power greater than any military force available to us in here and in here. I say in here because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit resides in you at the moment of faith. Phase one. Phase two promises that if we are living by the Word of God, it will save us from what? Power of sin. Why are we not seeing that? What's that? It's the... the we got to get into the Word. So if it's not working now, it's not because this is deficient. It's because we're probably not spending enough time. And I know, I admit, sometimes it could be drab and boring, right? But that's why it's great to come together on Sunday and Bible class during Wednesday, if you're able to. Because the fellowship and the interaction like this is what makes for an interest in taking and inculcating Bible doctrine, God's Word. Because doing it on your own is sometimes hard, right? Which is why the scripture says, do not forsake the assembling of saints. Because it's not easy. I don't have much of a choice. I just have to. I have to. But I enjoy it. And I tell you, I think part of the reason why I don't have some of the things that I struggled with before is because of my constant intake of the word. I have to take it in. 
I love to take it in anyways. I love to get into the Word. So, just please look closely here. Jesus is addressing himself to the group who believed in him. And Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Notice you can believe in Jesus, but not continue in his word. John 8, 31 and 32. It is possible to believe, but not continue in his word. So discipleship is not identical with new birth. Believers need to do something else. And what is that something else? Abide. Abide in His Word to be His disciples. Because if you're not abiding, you are not His disciple. One one cannot be a follower of Christ without knowing and applying His Word. Believers are set free from the bondage of sin when they abide in His Word. As seen in 32, the truth will set you free. Only an abiding believer experiences freedom from sin's bondage. That's John 8, 31 and 32. Now, we're going to kind of go back and look at John 4, But I'm not going to take us through the entire four anymore because we've gone through that together. But I want to show you why it's important to look closely at the text because I'm going to show you the distinction between salvation as well as discipleship and what in John 4. It's found in John 4, believe it or not. So since we read this together, this should be perfect for interaction if, if we need to. John 4, 7 through 9 says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Remember I had said they'd normally bring a canteen. Or, uh, and so the disciples went and brought the, the canteen with him with them because Jesus had nothing to draw with. Notice, his disciples had gone away, so he's by himself with the woman. And remember the context here, Jesus needed to go through Samaria. And why did he have to go through Samaria? For this woman. He needed to go there through Samaria to meet this woman. And I'd pointed out that sometimes we need to, to look around and see if we need to do something. Do we need to talk to someone? Do we need to visit someone? Is there someone who we could minister to? We're, we're now looking at the strategy of Jesus. He needed to go there. And watch what happens when he follows through. The impact of Jesus. So he meets this woman. Can you help me? He's off asking for help. Give me a drink. I don't have anything to draw with. His disciples had gone away. The woman of Samaria said, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? The Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Remember the culture there? They're not supposed to talk. Samaritans were half-breeds. They did not get along. So she was shocked that he would even talk to her. So please notice the style of Jesus. He broke the barrier. He took the he initiated the conversation. He knew it wasn't going to originate with her. She wasn't going to say, hey, you need water? She had a bad reputation, you'll recall. And she was there in the middle of the day, noontime, when it's hot, because no one else would come. But Jesus needed to go and be exactly where he's at now. Because he knew that this Samaritan woman was going to be there. So he took the initiative to go here. The woman said, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me? A Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. It's like gangs, crips and bloods. You're in my turf. What are you doing here? Get out of here. 
they didn't, they're not supposed to mingle. That's how strong it was. You're not, we're not supposed to be talking. You know what's going to happen if people see us talking? First of all, two things. Samaritan and a Jew. Second of all, she's a woman. To show you how how strict it was back then, the rabbis during this day forbidden men from being next to a woman in public. Even if it's his own wife. And his own daughter couldn't be next to the father. Could be in the same room. For the for fear of it looking bad. You couldn't be with your own daughter in the house lest someone sees you if the door is open. You couldn't be in public with your own wife for fear that they might talk and say, who's my talking with? Very, very guarded. Very strict. And so when, when she was asked for a drink, in her mind she said, oh my God, what are people going to say? Is he nuts? Jesus said, no, I know what you need. You need living water. I needed to come here to meet you. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and you don't, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you what? Living water. So he's talking to this woman. He initiates the conversation. Can we learn anything from Jesus? Sometimes we need to initiate the conversation. Only if you want to be a disciple. If you want to just be a believer and just be saved, that's fine. Problem is, you're not loving Jesus. You're not demonstrating to God the Son that you love Him. There's more to it than doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. Bible doctrine, Bible doctrine. Um, Privacy of the priesthood. There is that aspect, but at the same time, we're missing out on the life and person of Christ where He left all of glory to come and mix with us and say, the only way we're going to turn this thing around and get people saved is if we initiate. Is that not His example? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to, to become better. He didn't wait for us to improve our lifestyle. He didn't say, Freddie's cussing less now. He's not lusting as much now, so let's save him. No. While Freddie was still a sinner, Christ died for him. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did not wait. He took the initiative. So if we are to follow his example, likewise we should follow suit. So you know someone at work, you know a family member who is not where they're supposed to be, maybe struggling with something, initiate a conversation. Take them out for lunch. Take them out for Starbucks and say, look, hey, how's life? How are you doing? Well, you know my life. It's just an, it's a mess right now. Well, is there anything I could do to help? I want to be there for you. I care. That's the, that's the signals we're seeing in the life of Christ. There's, a, there's that aspect of study, study, study and show yourselves approved, but the application of it comes out when we shift hats and become going from royal priest to ambassador. Are you not an ambassador for Christ? Reconciling the world to Him. That's our ministry that He has given us. When was the last time you've done that? That's not optional. That's non-negotiable. That's coming from the living Word of God. We are commanded to go out there. So, we're just zooming in on this component, this scenario here, this scene in John chapter 4 that God the Holy Spirit had preserved for us to see that when it comes to Jesus Christ Himself, 
If we abide in His Word, we're His disciples indeed. When we follow and look closely at what Jesus did, if we're calling ourselves a follower of Christ, then it's not just sitting in the chair and going home and saying, um, let me hit play and listen to the, to the colonel. No. Go out there and be the colonel. Go out there and make a difference. People are going to hell lest we do something about it. Yeah, but it's God who saves. Yes, but you're the vessel, you're the instrument, you're the ambassador. You're the representative of Him. You're called to make disciples of all people. Are you not? We haven't even looked at that yet. We've just been looking at the Gospel of John. So look closely. If you knew the gift of God, so he's asking a question after he asked for water. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who's talking to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. If you knew who I really was, you would have asked me personally. You, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. But you don't even know who I am yet. Then the woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. What are you talking about? The well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? She's thinking physical water. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as, as his sons and his livestock? I mean, how are you going to get this living water? You don't even have anything to draw with and you're asking me for help. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water in Jacob's well will what? Thirst again. Say what? I'm here to satisfy my thirst. I'm here to draw water. And you're telling me that I will thirst again? Of course. Duh. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. After I fill this up, I'm going to be back again. But... Notice the, notice the little thing here that Jesus inserts. But whoever drinks the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water bubbling up or springing up into everlasting life. As I, the reason why it's highlighted in orange because the living water is not everlasting life. Because the living water is going to spring up into everlasting life. She has to first respond to Jesus. So it will bubble up into everlasting life. If she acquiesces to Jesus Christ, she'll receive that everlasting life. So it's just the message that we give to people that can become everlasting life. If Once they believe it. But please note, the fountain of water, the living water, is not everlasting life. It's contrasted. Fountain of water turns into everlasting life. It's not the same, one and the same. So, to summarize what we've just read here, here it is in big words. Receiving living water is a one-time transaction. Never to thirst never to be repeated again. You guys agree? Water is a one-time transaction, never to thirst, never to repeat again, according to Jesus. Because if you partake of this water that He gives, you will never thirst again. Hence, living water is a one-time transaction, never to thirst or repeat Again. So then, in 28, again, I'm, I'm, I'm only putting portions of John 4, but for review, I would encourage you to look closely at John chapter 4 when you have a moment. Very powerful passage. It shows the approach Jesus had. And I'm trying to pick the highlights here. The woman left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. What's this in reference to? 
Help me remember what, what what's the context to why she said this? That's right. Remember, she uh, Jesus told her that she had what five husbands, and the guys that she's with now isn't even her husband. So according to Jesus, uh, according to the woman, she took that as he told me all things. The all things was just the five husbands, her past, and the current situation, the man that she's with, is not even her husband. So she was, she left her water pot. She didn't even bring the water anymore. She went there to get water, physical water. But she went into the city and said to the men, the people there, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Is this him? Please notice, who's the one going out into the city now? The woman. She's the one who was avoiding everybody. She didn't want to be seen by anybody because she had a a checkered reputation. She was embarrassed. Everybody knew about her. She avoided people. But the impact of Christ was such that she said, could this be the one? At this juncture, she becomes the evangelist. Hey, could this be the man? Could this be the Christ? Come check him out. All of a sudden, she's no longer shy or embarrassed to meet the city. All because Jesus did one thing. She, he needed to go to Samaria. Why? To talk to this woman to say, can I have water? So that he can then give her living water. Do you know of anybody that could use a phone call or a text message? A hello? Is there anything I could do for you? Or maybe you need help. Maybe you could turn it around and do what Jesus did. Hey, I was wondering. You know, I know you're good with uh, cars. I'm having a problem with the car right now and I'm just it's making a funny noise. You think you could help me with it? There's something about asking for help that prompts an individual to want to help. And that's the style of Jesus. Can you help me? Jesus is asking for help. I need water. I need a drink. But he leveraged that to get her to talk. Why? Because he knew that she was going to be a little embarrassed. First of all, she's Samaritan. He's a Jew. Second of all, she's a woman. He's a Jew. Third, they're not supposed to be seen in public. And what are people going to say if they see them talking? She had every reason to avoid Jesus and not give him water. Not even engage in a conversation. Did that stop Jesus? Not at all. He didn't care. In fact, what happened later on? His disciples came and what does it say? They marveled. They were surprised. Why is he talking to her? But no one said anything. Because they knew that the Master was at work. They knew that if he was doing something, he had a purpose. They didn't even ask. Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Look at the impact. What if we took the time and just spoke to the person who needs help? Maybe they they have a Bible question. Maybe there's something in the Word of God that they're seeking. Could you help them? Could you say, hey, you know what? Let me look into this and get back to you. Something as subtle as that. Or maybe you can initiate the conversation. Say, hey, you know what? I've, I've... Today at at church, we uh, looked at a passage in John 4. It's very interesting. I'd like your thoughts on this. What do you think? What do you think would have happened if if, uh, a Samaritan was with a Jew in public? You have any thoughts on this? 
ask their help. Get their input. Why? Because that bridges the gap and it creates a a purpose and a reason to engage in a conversation which you can then steer and say you need living water. Come see a man who told me all things and he didn't even all he said was you have five husbands and the one you're with is not even your husband. Pastor, I have a question. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if a man is seen in public walking with his wife or in a room with his daughter or what have you, yeah. you know, people are going to talk about that. And, uh, you know, and where do you draw the line on that? In other words, <clears throat> when should you keep your mouth shut as opposed to, you know, addressing that as an issue? Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, even concealed the matter has a faithful spirit, and you know that's a that's a principle. And you know it. Yeah. But I mean, you know, we, we I see that, and for me personally, you know, I know things about people that aren't exactly up to par, mm-hmm. but they know about it, and they're trying to address it. What have you? I, I try to keep my mouth shut about other people's business. Yeah. So, in other words, where do you draw a line on something like that? And I hate to break up now, but yeah. we've talked about this before, and I told you that, you know, I withheld a question because I didn't want to interfere with the, with the lesson. Right. But then you told me, I think you said that I should go ahead and ask. Sure. It's always good to ask questions. This is a very interactive uh, class. So I, I think we have to incorporate all the other principles found in Scripture, you know, in um, the New Testament as well. And um, do you have an example in mind that I could uh, just fabricate one? Just fa- you don't have to give anything personal. <laughs> yeah, I have lots of examples. Sure. Um, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, had... He's omniscient. Right. And he's not violating anything because he's God. Yeah, true. But I don't know that at what point do we have where we can, you know, get into somebody's privacy, if you will. Yeah, I don't think we should meddle with anyone's privacy. I think the the point of John chapter 4 is that Jesus was showing that in spite of the culture of the day, he he was willing to do whatever it took to minister to the woman. Or does the culture allow individuals uh, to discuss um, someone's violation of, of, a, of, a, of a code, you know, that, that you don't mm-hmm. walk in public with a woman or, or you know, in a room alone with a woman? Does, does that, you know, that, that, I don't know, that, that sounds like a violation yeah, yeah. I mean, Yeah. Well, why don't we talk about this after the service? It sounds like it's going okay. to be... Uh... You know, now that's... Now, I, I totally interrupted your... No, 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 not at all. I, I, I always... Yeah, I, I love... I no, I, I, I always... I'm open. I'm the, I'm the type that is open to questions. Please understand that. I, so I appreciate that. I just figure it might require a little bit more time to elaborate on that and give some specifics. So, no, but I I enjoy the question because um, he did some things that were contrary to the norm. Talking to a woman, talking to a Samaritan, in public, all wrong, wrong, check, wrong, wrong, wrong. His disciples said, in fact, look at John chapter uh, 4, Look at 27. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled. They were surprised that he talked with a woman. 
Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? You see that? So even his own elite were surprised that Jesus would do such a thing. So, and I agree with you. Only Jesus is God and he he's omniscient. So he knew the heart of the woman. We don't. So we have to consider all the other principles as guidelines as found in the word so that we don't invade anyone's privacy, especially in public. But if you're going to ask me something that's private in nature, we can certainly go in the room and talk privately and I can certainly open up and share. So if I'm sharing it with you, it's no longer an invasion of privacy because I'm, I'm sharing it. If you say, by the way, um, what's your thoughts on firearms? So I'm going to say, oh. So. See? And so for some, it might be, ah, oh, don't talk about guns. But for some, like myself. <laughs> You're right. So let's talk some more, Rick. I, I think there's, there's, it's loaded. I think there's a lot of things that we can talk about here. But great question. Great question. I'm sure someone else might have something similar. So anybody, you know, my approach here is, if you have a question, please raise your hand. And if I don't have the answer, I'll give it to Scott. <laughs> so let's go back to John 4. The woman left her water pot. So she went there to get water. Guess what? She was stunned. Now, is it because she was excited to tell the city? Or is it because of verse 27? The disciples came. We don't know. Because... Right before the woman left her water pot in 28, 27 says, at this point his disciples came and they marveled. So they're probably going like this. What's she doing? So I don't know if that prompted the woman to leave her water pot and go or she was excited and said, I, got, I must tell everybody. Whichever the case it is, whatever it may be, she still left to reach out to the city. Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Remember? We left. We come here. And guess what? You're flirting with this girl. She's a Samaritan. We're not going to ask you why you were flirting with this girl, but um, you should know by now this is not acceptable. But why don't you eat? Please, Rabbi, eat. He said to them, wait a minute, I have food to eat of which you don't know. What? What are you talking about? I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said, okay, who brought him food? We went all this way, and who gave him food already? We wasted our time going to Weg Wegmans. The disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, Ah, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Who sent him? The Father. My food is to do the will of the Father who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say that there are four months, then comes the harvest, you plant four months and then harvest comes? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Look, the city is coming. The harvest is ripe. Remember that the woman left and left her water pot? People are now coming. You find this in verse... Bill, could you read 39? Uh, 39 to 42, please. Uh, John chapter 4. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word he testified. He told me all things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. Said that we believe, but we have heard for ourselves that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. 
impact. Jesus went, he needed to go to Samaria to talk to this woman. He ran the risk of looking, standing out, looking like he's in violation of the culture code. He didn't care. All he did was spoke to the woman as revealed in scripture. You need living water. Could this be the man? Could this be the Christ? She goes to the city and the city all come to him. It says many of the Samaritans, not the Jews, the Samaritans of the city believed. Verse 39. Because of the word of the woman. Impact. Jesus spent time with one woman. She converted the entire city. That's pretty good. Many believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me that I, everything that I've done. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed there for two days. All of a sudden, they welcomed him. And who is this? A Jew. The Samaritans were now welcoming Jesus. The city? Unheard of. Please stay with us. Stay in my house. No, stay with me. No, stay at Bill's house. No, stay at Hal's house. Stay at David's house. No, stay at Scott's house. They all wanted him. It continues, after he stayed for two days, 41, and many more believed because of his own word. So when the woman brought the, brought the city, the people of the city, to Christ, then many more believed because they heard for themselves. Verse 40, 41. Many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. We heard it for ourselves. So if Jesus did not go through Samaria to talk to this one woman, if he did not initiate, talk to the woman who was a Samaritan, who was a woman in front of people, then the city would have missed out on salvation. Many would have been eternally separated from God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But because of this one woman, because of Jesus Christ, who left us an example of what to do and not worry about the culture, conversion took place right there and then. And then she said, here's my water pot. I got to tell everybody. Could this be like any of you talking to the individual, initiating a conversation bringing them to church and then hearing the truth of God's word for themselves. It's possible. Maybe there's some connection there. Similarities. But now, look at this. Food is ongoing pursuit of doing the will of the Father. So let's, let's combine them. The first... Receiving living water is a one-time transaction, never to thirst or repeat again. It's an example of salvation as seen by the woman at the well. That's the first part of our John 4. We also saw Jesus saying that food is the ongoing pursuit of doing the will of the Father. And this is an example for a disciple, a follower of Christ... It should always involve the pursuing of the Father's will. So after you receive the living water, we ought to be doing the will of the Father. You see that? Receiving the water, how many times? Once you partake of this water, you will never, never thirst again. It's a one-time transaction. Salvation is a one-time. You don't have to be born again and again and again and again. It's a one-time transaction, never to thirst anymore. 
But when it comes to discipleship, it should be the ongoing pursuit of doing the will of the Father, as clearly seen by the words of Christ. Same book, same chapter, John chapter 4. We have an example of salvation, and in the back end, we have an example of discipleship. What a disciple looks like. One who does the will of the Father, as clearly elicited, as clearly shared by the words of Jesus. My food is to do the will of the Father to completion. So, I modified this chart. It's now going to be a contrast between salvation or our position and discipleship and condition. But if you'll notice on the orange here, let's see if I can do this. <clears throat> see this? Is this working right? I'm adding salvation, also forward slash position, priest. This is where it's hidden. This is where we talk about the doctrinal churches, the Bible teaching churches. We talk about salvation and applying doctrine. But remember, when we talk about salvation, we're really talking about our position in Christ. We're also talking about the priesthood. You're all a royal priest. But there's this side here we must consider too. We are, when it comes to discipleship, we're talking about our condition, our lifestyle, and our ambassadorship. We're a priest before God, we're an ambassador before the world. Both are realities. Both apply to the believer. But one is volitional. This side is volitional. It depends on whether or not you will say yes to Him. It's costly. You must sit down and count the cost. It means putting him before other relationships. doesn't mean that you don't like the other people. You don't love the other people. It just means Christ is preeminent. He's first before father, mother, son, daughter. That's the cost. Bearing up the cross, following him, recognizing that there's going to be suffering from time to time. They'll mock you. They'll laugh at you. You're in that antiquated church thing. You still believe in God. Science is the deal now. Don't you believe in Elon Musk? Elon Musk, whatever. <laughs> might be Elon. He, he may have changed. I just don't know it. So, this we must be clear on, okay? Salvation refers to our position, refers to our priesthood. Discipleship speaks of our condition, our lifestyle, and whether or not we're an ambassador at the moment. So if we drill down through the list, on the left side, our standing, our, it's re- referring to our birth. On the right side, we're referring to our practices and our lifestyle. Will our lifestyle always match our position? No. Will our lifestyle always look like a Christian? No. Because we're weak. We're human. We're sinners. We fall short from time to time. If we say we have no sin, we make God a liar. So, as far as this is concerned on the right, this is what vacillates and fluctuates from time to time. Nothing to be embarrassed about. It's just a reality. But this is intact. You are, you are saved. You are perfect in Christ. You will never ever lose that. doesn't matter how bad you are. But we want to run hard for Christ over here. This here on the left, we responded to the offer of the living water. That's how salvation occurs. Over here, as a disciple, as an ambassador, we're abiding in his word, as, as clearly seen by the words of Christ. You are my disciples if you abide in my word. Over here on the left, referring to everlasting life, the moment you are saved, you have everlasting life. You never lose it. Over here, you can experience the abundant life. That depends if you are following Christ. You will experience a stability and a joy and an empowerment that's not seen or felt by anybody other than a spirit-filled believer in Christ. 
Over here, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit as a believer, as a, as a priest. Over here, you're walking by means of the Spirit. You're walking in power. Over here, it requires faith in Christ as a believer, as a priest. You're positionally, you become born again as you ap- apply faith in Christ. Over here, requires you to follow Christ. So the difference between the two is faith in Christ as a priest versus following Christ as an ambassador. Big difference between the two. One is external, the other is internal. We've got one, I'll just cover maybe one more slide. We're we're about out of time here. So salvation as a priest, it requires believing in Christ. Um, As an ambassador, lives like Christ. On the left side, salvation received immediately upon faith. As a disciple, requires living by faith. So one is received at, upon faith. You believe in Christ for everlasting life. And on the right side, it requires living by faith, not by sight. We don't live by circumstances. Because if we do, we're going to panic all the time. On the left side, it's the same for every believer. It's the gift received at salvation faith alone in Jesus Christ alone the gift is everlasting life and on the right side and we'll close here rewards which will be given to those who live for Christ not everyone will receive rewards only those who run hard for Christ so this is where we will stop and um, we will conclude here and I'll close in prayer and I think we have one song right and so I appreciate your time and it's so good to be back and I I, uh, am grateful for your prayers. Father, thank you as always for giving us the opportunity to examine your word. And once again, you have proven how superior your style is, your approach to dealing with and interacting with others. That you cut through the culture, you cut through any barriers, you show us that... um, once you have a purpose of reaching someone for the cause of Christ, um, that you'll go out of your way, even if it means going through an area that is hostile against Jews, in order to minister to one person who needs you. And so may we take that example and apply it in our own personal lives and look around and see if there's other, if there's people in our periphery and people in our circle of sphere that needs to be Uh, reached out to give us the boldness and the creativity to be able to come up with ways to interact with those who may not be open to the gospel so that we can offer the living water that ultimately comes through your son Jesus Christ I thank you father for this time pray that you would that you would uh, continue to use the teachings that we are looking at together each and every Sunday that it would transform us and that we would not just be hearers of these truths, but doers of the truth, and making application and winning people for the cause of Christ. We ask and pray all of these things through Christ's matchless name in which we pray. Amen.